HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by the Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York, partnering with Grow NYC on a pilot project to make farm fresh trees and wreaths available at green markets. For more information, visit ChristmasTreesNY.org. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Uh, that was just the present who will be live later on today. Um, happy Thanksgiving weekend to all. I hope everyone is traveling safely today. Uh, on the show today, we'd like to welcome Roberto Diaco from East 12th, Australia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, it's kind of hard to figure out where to start because your career and education has been, it seems like it's more than one person uh, when reading about your background. But what grabs me was that you were uh, in the Air Force and you jumped out of airplanes. <laughs> sure <I> did. <laughs> and uh, I'm curious if anything um, during that year of training prepared you for uh, a life in the kitchen. Well, it was part of, that is part of growing up in Italy. It, uh, it's, it was a mandatory uh, job and uh, basically it actually had nothing to do with with then cooking in the kitchen. I used to cook much earlier since I was 12. So, um, Is there any place along your education that really sticks out or any you know lessons that you took early on that um, ha- shaped the way that you cook today? Not sure. Uh, in the north of Italy where, where I'm from techniques are mostly French uh, so you can imagine, I mean, Italian products, French, Frenchly, French-oriented techniques, is probably the best uh, choice. Even more, m- most of the restaurants in the, in northern Italy have kind of a French influence in techniques only. Uh, is there any marriage of the two styles, or what is? Is there one way of doing thing that you pr- prefer an Italian way over a French way? Let's say we we respect more the products. I mean. That's for certain. I mean, we have more simplicity going on in our in our recipes. Uh, still, with some decent techniques, we I do think that we can get out kind of a better result in flavors. We don't have to hide any kind of uh, original flavors from the products. <laughs> no, no hiding. No, 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 hiding. no secret sauces. No. That's also my way to cook. I mean, you you taste what you see in the in the in the in the dish. If I were to present, to ask you to pick four ingredients for me to cook a, a dish, what would the four ingredients be? I'm kind of uh, a mushroom fanatic. Okay. I really <laughs> love porcini. That's, oh. I'm coming from an area where we have a, uh, probably one of the best porcini in the Alps. It's the south part of the Alps. And, uh, and uh, porcini plays a big role where I'm from including some truffles and chanterelles, which are finferly. It's definitely porcini uh, paired with any kind of uh, pasta, any kind of pasta, or uh, let's make it more luxurious with some langoustines paired 
Oh yeah, uh, Mediterranean uh, crustaceans with porcini and truffle is just fantastic. So we're going to pause the show right now. We're going to go to your kitchen. You can make this for me. We can come back. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Um, what is it about the porcini that, that grabs you? I know you grew up with it and it's familiar, but what is it about that particular mushroom that holds such a special place? It's already the way it grows. It grows when the, the moon turns and it must rain. So basically they pop up in one night. Oh, oh, just overnight. It's one night. If you get it the next day, good. If not, they, they're rotten. And I know we're going to talk about truffles in a little bit, and the moon is involved in that, but, but could you expand a little bit more about how the moon influences um, harvesting ingredients or, or how that type of information is, is passed down over the generations? Well, the way I grew up on a farm, I mean, my dad used to do everything according to, to the moon, everything. Even cut his own hair. Really? Everything was according to the moon. What type of um, moon did it have to be for him to get a haircut? It must turn. It must turn. Once the, the moon turns, you can you start doing things. If, uh, the, the last days, uh, with a full moon, you don't do nothing. Okay, so this is like not when it's a new moon, when it turns from the full moon and starts to... It must to turn. The moon must grow. Oh, okay. Oh, so after, after the after new full moon, moon yeah. after full moon. Okay. I got it. Um, so he cut his hair, and what else would you do um, by the we schedule? We used to do everything, like um, plant plant any kind of plants or even cut cut any kind of plant. It must be according to the moon. And if you went, I'm not saying that you would go against it, but if you were f- to foolish enough to go against it, what type of travesty or what type of um, problems would you encounter? It affects the nature mm. immediately. You see the next growth will be less, guaranteed. If you cut the grass uh, when uh, at a full moon, the, the, once it turns, it won't grow this, that, that tall anymore. Hmm. And does the influence of the moon still um, affect your cooking or, or are you in the kitchen today? I wouldn't say it affects me in the cooking, but I do know when to get the products at the right time. Have you turned away people who showed up at the, the back kitchen door with produce being like, the moon is not right. Please come back at another time. Back in, it- back in Italy, yes. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, you, do, you simply don't, don't accept certain products if they come at the, at, the, at the wrong time of the month. Right. And uh, would the purveyors be understanding or would they think that, you know, that's just the old way of doing things or what was their response? Sure. Back when I was there, they used to, to actually, actually deliver and also respect those. those days. Now it's no longer like that, but it, that's how I grew up. Hmm. Uh, one of the other stops along your career was the Rainbow Room, which, uh, <laughs> I mean, I just have to say, I mean, if, if you have someone who's worked there, it must be talked about. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience up there? I mean, it's such like a different atmosphere to, to cook, in, especially in 99. Rainbow Room is fun. I do think it's a fantastic place. Yeah. No, well, it's, it's fantastic. Somebody that really can make it up there uh, you know, in the long run is good. It's a tough place to be. What What are some of the the hardships, or what are some of the challenges of cooking in the in Rainbow Room? Well, it's uh, uh, the place consists in in in, in um, a la carte cooking, banquets. You go from breakfast all the way to to supper. Uh, I mean, you name it. From the from the most expensive uh, banquets. Uh, I mean, we did it all up there. It's. And running a big kitchen like that, actually it was two kitchens. On top of that, we did the top of the rock. Uh, it was a big operation. Um, 
Was there a finest moment up there? Like a moment of, did you ever feel in control of, of that place or did it feel like it was just a, a unweirdly master? No, no, I sure did. Yeah. I, I was like day and night up there, seven days a week, so I kind of really enjoyed where did you, did you, was there a place you could sleep up there or a place to hide? No, it was not. But <laughs> I, I, I must say I did, I did enjoy it. Okay. Um, so what, was, what went into the opening of East 12th Austria? Like, um, what was the process? And also the location is amazing too, but maybe not exactly where you would think you would find a high-end Italian place. Sure. I mean, look, East Village is a fantastic uh, part of the city. I really, really loved it. Me and my wife went there checked out the area and so on and then once we found that little corner we went straight for it so uh, East Villagers are absolutely fine people it's so nice to sit there at the window and see all these people passing by and so on it's actually a theater going on right outside of our windows it's fantastic I really love it a little bit like out here Maybe not as active. Almost the same. <laughs> Almost the same. Uh, and and I mean, you've you've traveled so extensively. You've you've done so much education. Um, what type of philosophy went into putting together the menu for the restaurant? I do believe, it, no matter where you go to work in New York City, it doesn't matter which area, as long as you as you uh, somehow respect the area you are. Uh, I mean. Um, Pricing, uh, some pricing, and so on and so on. Uh, I do think uh, you can really be open and try to present whatever you you, you feel like uh, uh, showcasing to them. So, and is there? I mean, in the way that Puccini was the mushroom of your youth, is there a dish at the restaurant that you feel embodies the area, being true to it, uh, the type of customers you have that maybe was not even there originally, but evolved over time. The reaction was quite good. I mean, even in using truffles, that, that there aren't many using truffles, truffles in uh, in East Village, but the reaction was positive, so that's good. Uh, even the menu, um, we have more, we don't have that many young people coming to us, but uh, like more established people are definitely uh, like enjoying the place, uh, enjoying the food. Uh, great comments and so on. I mean, I'm very happy with what we have done. Speaking about truffles, um, obviously, tis the season of truffles. Uh, not every restaurant serves a truffle menu. So, how did you arrive at that decision? Was it something that was you were you've always served and you will be, or it, it seems like you know it's a huge expense. There's a lot of money going out into it. How does one develop the desire to take on um, a truffle menu? Look, truffles has been my in my life, my whole life. Uh, I've always worked with truffles everywhere I worked. Uh, it's in my culture. Uh, I do think that if you give them the options, not actually having to buy a full dish, you can share it, split it, or whatever, or or you create tasting menus that they can that you work with them with their budgets, and they can also uh, enjoy that product. Then it works. Do you have, um, can you recall any of your first truffle experiences? That was way back, yeah. back when I was 13 years old that I actually didn't completely understood the value of it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the, the, back then that owner wasn't really that happy with me because I... And where, sorry, where in the world are you at this time? That, that was back in, in Alta Badia. Mm-hmm. And I kind of... <laughs> You know, I, I didn't, I couldn't actually at that time really 
Um, <laughs> handle them. No one's going to yell at you. I, it's, it's so many years I ago. I just <laughs> messed up a bunch of them, like in cutting them very thick. Once they are cut, you can't anymore yeah. uh, recut them. You know, so I made huge thick slices and, and I wasted a whole bunch of them. I mean, your nervousness right now it must have been such a, a mistake. <laughs> it <laughs> no, one can, it, no one can hurt you now. You're in a safe place. It, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a nice experience, that one. It, you know, with the, that was quite uh, a damage. So. And, and, and when do you feel um, 13 was your first introduction that you really felt that you understood and respected uh, the ingredient and you know maybe some of the first dishes that you learned to to use them in well then uh, over time then uh, after being scolded proper properly <laughs> then you really understand the the product and 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 you'll be you'll be more careful and and obviously like you see even the people that come and eat that you kind of uh, automatically uh, uh, respect for it and what um what makes uh, for people who don't know what makes a good truffle well the truffle truffle truffles are tough uh you know if it is too warm it's a warm year it's they are terrible truffles you know uh, all you can hope is that it is kind of a uh, somehow rainy but most dry year so that means uh, and then uh, a good a good cold uh fall that Will definitely bring you to the uh, bring the best truffles. Like this year, we have very good truffles, but not many. Is that due to the warm weather? It was too warm. It was too warm. It was too rainy in that area. Uh, yeah, it's not a good year in in uh, amount wise. Uh, it's not a good year. Uh, okay. Well, we're going to take a quick musical break, and then we're going to talk about the white truffle lady. Um, how you can get on her good side and then we're going to talk about the menu that you're currently serving uh, but at first we have a track from our favorites Avoir Simone uh, live on Snacky Tunes Pizza Pies <laughs> Is this a good this, tempo? Is this how you guys Too roll fast? every day? This is how we roll every day Wow It's amazing you guys aren't fat
girls so much uh welcome back to snacky tunes so let's talk about francesca because a you didn't include her last name in this which duly noted and two i want to know how you get a truffle lady how do you court someone to bring you the world's best truffles francesca she's the, she 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 she's the fresh air of new york city in uh, talking about truffles. Yeah. I mean, she she changed the market. She changed completely our way to to love truffles again. How did and how? Well, let's take like a step back. Where was it before her, and how did she change it? And where is it now? When Francesca came came <laughs> approached me the first what, what, time. What year actually, is this, by the way? I, I, excuse me. What year did she did she arrive? Like around three years ago, I think. Okay. Three four years ago. Okay. So she approached me, and actually the first time I said no, what I say to everybody, you know, I don't want anybody to come to approach me to sell anything just like that. Was the moon wrong? Uh, <laughs> it wasn't really the moon, but yeah, that's how I am. Yeah. And Francesca, uh, I told her, okay, for one shipment. And since, since then, I stuck with her. It's, uh, the way they serve you is phenomenal. Quality, fantastic. Prices, always competitive. Mm. Uh, and she's she's honest. I mean, there's there's plenty truffle uh, girls, women out there, but there's only one truffle lady. Mm. There's only one. I like. And and what was it? Um, do you remember what she said to you when you turned it down the first time, or is that just your general disposition? Nothing. Yeah. She just walked away nicely without a problem. I mean, she she never pushes for anything. But uh, once you 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 work with her, you don't. You you seriously don't don't give up anymore, and uh, without giving away too many secrets, does, how many restaurants does she supply? Well, again, uh, probably the big, all the best and biggest in New York City. She's uh, she's going strong. Uh, I must say that, and everybody has nothing but great things to say about her. 
And is it is it just her? Is there a, a, a history behind her, a family, or? She comes from a, a travel family. Her dad, her uncle has a, a, a beautiful company there in Umbria, and they're doing great. And uh, and uh, uh, again, I mean, it's a it's a very down to earth, honest company. I mean, they they don't mess around with you. And now is she in a position where before she was coming to chefs? Is she now? sought after does she still seek out chefs or how does she because i mean you said if it's a bad season not everyone can get it how who gets the truffle lady and who gets the well, sideline well uh, many times you actually s- even suggest her where to go uh you want also your friends your chef friends or somebody that you used to work with that actually you uh, you work for or that worked for you you like them to buy from her because i mean it's the truffle business is uh, it's kind of tough out there, the way it is. No, and it, to, to find a supplier that is honest, gives you doesn't give you uh, Chinese black truffles or or, or sneaks in anything uh, low quality. Uh, it's hard to hard to find. I mean, a person that you can trust, really trust, uh, you stick with that person. When you receive a truffle shipment, do you go through them? Is it a trusted? Sous chef, uh, who who checks it because they no. are so variable. No, I go through that. She comes. I mean, she she tells you already before she comes. She tells you exactly what she has, quality wise, prices, everything you want to know. Shows up, and you really get what what uh, she is actually uh, promising you. Uh, it's really actually very easy to deal with her, <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, really, it, it be, my life became much easier since I met her. Absolutely. That's incredible. Um, so once you have the truffles and it is in your blood, you know, how do you begin to build a menu around it? Given that supplies might fluctuate, you know, given that the the weather might change, um, how do you build the right, uh, or how do you start to build the right menu? Look, the whole year you're waiting for the white truffles. Black truffles are common. I mean, you go from the uh, summer truffles to the to the to the French uh, Perigord and so on. I mean, the whole year you, you can find decent good black truffles uh, but for the white truffles you wait the whole year for those um, and the whole year she keeps you kind of updated not the whole year but through the summer she tells you already she knows already what is coming up quality she tells you about the weather and and then and then the whole thing she she foresees everything already the way it's coming mm. so that's that's basically what you you expect and go for then you build the menu the menu is always you can be not too creative. Obviously, you try every year to change your tasting menu, uh, but you can't go move away from certain risotti, pastas, and so on that you actually uh, eat white truffle with. You just can't move away from that. Uh, you can improve in finding a better rice, a better, a better quality ingredient, but uh, you kind of stick with that, and then you, you obviously, obviously can uh, work on your tasting menu and make it... Uh, slightly more more interesting, adding other ingredients and so on. Like this year, we are playing with chocolate, chocolate mm. and truffles, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, ricotta, chocolate, and truffle. Oh my god! Sounds. Yeah. Um, how far out from truffle season does she begin to sense um, what it's going to look like? The whole summer, like let's say in, in July, she tells you already mm. what is going to. I mean, she, she's already telling. Obviously, she's in touch all the time with her family, and they tell her already uh, how the season is going to be, and and 
and uh, exactly what she said is uh, happening this year. If someone has not had too much experience with white truffles and they can't go all in for the, the tasting menu, it might be too, uh, too rich for their pocketbook, is there one particular dish that you feel really is the epitome or really showcases the ingredient above all else? Or you could pick two. I don't want you to pick a favorite. <laughs> you can pick two. You know, if they, if, uh, uh, to play safe, to really play safe. We'll do one safe and one not safe. One not safe and one safe. Okay. Good. The not safe would be seafood and truffle. That is something you need to be really good with. Mm. Why is that? I mean, uh, there is some seafood that you would... I mean, I do think that luxury goes with, goes with luxury. Mm. Uh, you know, if you pick seafood, then you go like, definitely with like langoustines, mm-hmm. Dover sole, all the most prestigious uh, kind of seafood. Uh I would never go with Branzini or any kind of whatever, calamari, whatever you, right. you name it, that has nothing to do with truffle. Even right. we, sometimes people might try, especially new chefs, they want to be creative on their own mm. and, and, and come up with these things. It, yeah. it simply doesn't work, period. Right. Uh, that is the difficult difficulty in, in pairing truffle with. You go with luxury with luxury. If you play safe, then you definitely go with a nice uh, thin carpaccio with truffle uh, or or like any kind of risotto pasta just keep it simple okay you i'm sold 100 <laughs> um well i want to thank you for coming on to snaggy tunes uh before you go can you tell people where to find the restaurant how to make reservations how long the truffle menu will be running for we are located in in the east village 12th, 12th street and first avenue the corner the northwest corner beautiful location uh, the truffle menu uh, will be on until probably the 20th of December and then it depends if there's still something coming or not uh, we are not going to push it uh, even uh, late harvest might go bad so we, we prefer to just cut it off um, right now we have beautiful truffles really beautiful truffles that we are offering as, tasting, uh, as a tasting menu for uh, $200 which is Absolutely a fantastic price for that kind of quality we are we are offering, and uh, or they can uh, choose simple uh, single dishes for anywhere between twenty five dollar the, the chocolate crab all the way up to uh, one hundred and eighty dollar dollars. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, we have Wall coming up next, and then we have the present live in studio here on Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Seen in a magazine Left on a pavement Taking it underground Needed to save it Let's go on holiday Picture the type of place Me on a seaweed wave Some this evening, some this evening, I'm 
Welcome back. Uh, in the studio, we have the present. Uh, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having us. Uh, do you want to introduce yourselves? Hey, I'm Rusty Santos. And this is Mino Hashi. I really like the concept of your band of creating music that you feel right now because it seems like pretty ephemeral. Um, how does the day-to-day or even week-to-week influence the music that you make? It influences a lot. Um... Anything visceral we take in. Do you feel like you feel the world in a, in a different way? And, you know, how does that affect the sounds? Or, or how do you define a sound that's ever continually changing? I think a, a lot depends on the music we're listening to. Also what's going on in the world. But I think what we really... Like if, we, if our music, the music we're kind of zoomed in on changes, then the sound of our music changes. Um... And that was sort of the concept of our band. Like, when we started, it was completely different than what it is now because times have changed. It's a different world. So we just go with that feeling. What was the some of the earlier sounds, or give context for that? Early on, we had a... Oh, sorry about the feedback there. Early on, we had a drummer, and we were kind of, like, making soundscapes, and it was still electronic but it had a lot of live elements to it like stream of consciousness mm-hmm. yeah was it was in the material um preconceived or was it just like get up on stage and just whatever came out of you more like uh, record in the house in the bedroom okay. type yeah got it but our stage show was we had a lot of parts we would have improvised sections but i mean you know stuff that we knew we were going to play and then it would go stretched out into jams but on our first two records a lot of them started as improvisations I think like the best stuff was started as improvisations we kind of worked them out into full on orchestrations yeah kind of like capturing the moment and then how did it evolve over time or what are some of the out outworld uh, influences that began to change the landscape well I think when we started I was it was like heavy in the New York like kind of sound back then we used to kind of mix acoustic and electric and that was like a lot of the records I was a part of did that and then we kind of made the decision we're either going to go with the acoustic or the electric because it's kind of mixing them seemed to be um, like not doing either side justice so we we stuck with the electronic side of it 
were heavily in, um, influenced by dance music and into dance music. And then there was a period around 2009 when it seemed like the music coming out of Chicago was more exciting to us than the music coming out of New York, and we kind of pushed our attention over there. And it coincided when we met with Rashad and those guys and heard the, the first footwork that was coming out of there. And then working with them, they kind of showed us how they made tracks, and then that changed the way that we made tracks. So, like, maybe 10 years ago, even if we had the similar equipment, we approached it in a very different way than after we kind of learned how they're doing tracks. What? Yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. I'd say um, our New York friends, um, the past 10 years, has been a really big influence on how we, um, yeah, play our music and share our music. And, uh, yeah, so I would say New York and Chicago underground music has been a really big influence on the present what was one of the things they showed you in making music that that kind of opened your eyes or, or changed the way that you made it i think it was the way that you can change the rhythm aspect where it seemed like a lot of the the people we were making music with associated with at the time when we first on our first records you'd have like a stable drum beat that's going and then we kind of flipped that so that the drum beat is always changing and then moving that around electronically and and uh, whereas melodies used to kind of fly all over the place, then the melody be kind of became like a center point, and then the rhythm is always shifting and fluctuating. And same with like the bass and the, the kicks and those type of elements. It's just instead of just having a loop, that's like where the creativity happens. I would say um, I'd always had fun improvising and you know um, going free in music, uh, but. The biggest thing that I learned uh, being in the studio with DJ Rashad was he would um, teach to play with the percussive elements inside the music. And mm -hmm. that was uh, definitely like an eye-opening experience for me to not just the melody, but play with the percussive elements too. So you're dancing and singing at the same time when you're singing. Uh, why don't we hear a, hear a song? Okay. Uh, what are you going to play first? Oh my God. Okay. Uh, live on Snacky Tunes.
amazing. Um, you recently played uh, with Panda Bear. Uh, what was that like? That was great. We, we love playing Bowery Ballroom. I think it was the third time we played there. And, um, yeah, every time it's amazing because they have a, like, kind of like a real intimate feel. We could connect with people. We, people were dancing, which is kind of surprised i think even the people dancing it was a good show i that was like the one of the first venues i ever went to when i moved here and it, i didn't realize how good it was until i went to a lot of other venues but yeah. mm-hmm. they really built that one properly um do you have any other places that you love playing or like or areas that are receptive to the music you make we had a show earlier this year um it was at a bar but it was a good bar it was elvis guest house mm. that, that was a good show um and yeah, I mean, it seemed like a lot of the places we still always like to play aren't around. So, you know, it kind of sh- it changes really fast, but that one's still around, so that's good. We played El Cortez. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like a week ago, two weeks ago. Yeah, that ago. was cool. That's a brand new place. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then we might even play there again soon, actually. So mm-hmm. those are good uh, spots. So we talked a little bit about um, where your music was and kind of how it evolved. What is your music like now in 2000? Well, I guess the, towards the end of 2015, 2016. Yeah. <laughs> right now well yeah we're kind of um we're we're on a 160 kind of like a faster bpm than the halftime thing like you heard in that song we can kind of go switch in between like the fast and the slow i think that's like a big part of what we're interested in right now are these like kind of flipping it upside down halftime and then double time i'm interested in mixing mixing um live piano maybe bring back the acoustic elements that might be really interesting and you said you know that's a different world earlier. Like, what um, outside influences of the world have affected the music that you make? Well, we we did a show earlier this year in Lisbon, and we were super into the Prince of a Discos. Like, there's this whole group of people making music, and we kind of got similar to how we got into Chicago. This like thing is like really amazing what these kids are doing. Um, what is it called again? Well, Prince of a Discos. That's the Disc- label. Yeah. It's called Prince of a Discos, but it's this group of kids from. Um, like the the outer suburbs of Lisbon and they make a dance music that's kind of like slow down and warped sounding it's really cool um, a lot of the I think the main group of people they have this they go by Familia Fox and like all of them have different acronym in the word Fox in their name um, DJ Nigga Fox DJ Mar Fox yeah um, so I think that kind of like open up our ears a bit to some of these like global sounds and what's going on there and then yeah some of our friends there were showing us other stuff so um and then also out of atlanta and i mean i'm really into american music right now for the first time in a long time i feel like some of the best music's coming out of america particularly with atlanta with the awful records and the stuff that um you know like future metro boom and that young thug um all that hip-hop like the best hip-hop in america coming out of atlanta and L.A., Brooklyn, some really good, good scenes. And what elements are you taking from there and bringing it into, into your music? Well, I think that's like the halftime part. Where it's like so, like definitely when we're on that halftime zone, that's kind of like inf- has that like American hip hop feel. And then when we double time, that has like this sort of like UK influence or um, you know Portuguese influence. It has like that like European dance side. But I mean, it's still very American what we're doing. Uh, cool. Um, can we hear another song? Sure. What are you going to, what's the name of this one? Coming to. Okay.
You put out two EPs called Energy and Sound uh, this year. Yes. Um, what was the inspiration for those two EPs? Or how did they come into to being? It um, came from just uh, improvising and catching the moment and just jamming on the machine, as for Rusty, and me on microphone and just, uh, just capturing what comes out and not going back... Um, not so much a back and forth, just uh, going at it and capturing the moment, yeah. Yeah, it was more aggressive than some of the stuff like we were expecting. We kind of just came out and we were rolling with it. Like, ener- so that's why we stuck with the energy, you know, like, that was what we were feeling. Um, and is the impro- improvisation happening at the same time, or is it you lay out the music and then you respond to it, or is it same room, same time, same energy? As for this round, uh, Rusty came up with the tracks first, and then I went in and just uh, sang on it. Yeah. But yeah, and then even when, but it kind of feeds off each other, and I think the way that it gets arranged changes after that. And so, um, yeah, there's always like kind of like trying to find creative ways to improvise inside of a machine that, like a sampler, you know, that doesn't like expressively work like that like but then you could find these like limitations inside of just like you would with any kind of instrument but electronically like how do you do something completely in the moment when the machine's meant to program or to compose so that's kind of like what we are exploring is like keeping that live energy while you're recording or programming and so that's how it came out and translating that from like the improvisation do you just kind of play it as a laser do you go back in and maybe edit it or cut it together in some way to make uh, cohesion or is it just kind of what happens happens and then I think every song is different and we don't have like a one method that we stick to mm. we let the uh, track kind of speak for itself because it, it comes from the track it's it, inside it like sometimes it um, asks for more attention and time and, and some tracks are just like it raw so but yeah and that's true but then there are certain rules within it too like with the yeah. 
like how we'll do like 16 bars or 32 bars, eight bars. And there's kind of like, we follow these like codes that we learned from working with a lot of the Chicago guys. That was one of the things they really taught us is you have certain structures. And when you get those structures, you can go wild, like whatever you want, but then you, you know, like we're not going to change on the sixth bar. It's going to change on the eighth bar. Right. I mean, creativity always comes from some form of constraint. Like when everything's right, an right, option, right. like nothing happens. That is so true. So yeah. uh, um, that's such a, a great lesson. And, and how long did it kind of take for you guys to codify your own set of rules? Like when did that Ooh. come into play? I really think if you notice, we put out three records this year and it's, the last one was a long time before that. We were releasing stuff on SoundCloud and everything, but it took a it took years. Like from where shout we, out to Jamie, by the way. Oh yeah, thanks yeah. for connecting us. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he put a um, hi, Jamie. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you were saying that it was you'd put out a record a long time ago, and then like kind of as it you I put mean, out yeah, this like year from the the first ones we were talking about, the kind of like acoustic electronic. Um, explorations to where we're doing right now that was five years yeah and I think it's about like understanding each other's roles like yeah. you're in charge of this and I'm in charge of this like understanding the dynamics was definitely an like organic experience it's not like oh you're the producer and you make it from here to here and I'm the singer slicing so from here it's, it's never like that it was just uh, yeah, the, I mean we're both the producer kind of weird yeah so understanding that without even uh, like planning or talking about it just mm-hmm. like doing it and kind of like Jim <laughs> um, but I mean, after being playing together for a, a number of years, I mean, are the roles set, or is it even within like the improvisation that you might change roles or take on new roles or different direction? It's fluctuous, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, they're becoming more set. Um, yeah. We we would definitely we're open for anything. But then I feel like kind of like part of what the present has become is um, I'm like deeply inside the electronic and the mix and she's deeply in the vocals and the mix as well kind of so, and the songwriting yeah I mean th- one thing earlier when we were talking about the improvisation we don't really like mixing is kind of part of that process too it's not like we finish it and then now it's time to mix it's like we finish it and it's finished um, from the way from, so from the start of the composition to recording to mixing to mastering that all kind of happens in the same process and then it's done mm-hmm. It's a really interesting way to evolve making music. So, like, the output must be higher, or is it still you feel the same? Or there's a lot of stuff that, get, that happens that, like, you learn on that one, that's down, and then you start again because you're refining the process during the recording. Yeah, I mean, well, for each of the, like, the Energy and Sound series, which we're not really, hasn't wrapped up yet, we still have more and more coming because that's kind of just, like, we finish, and then we finish a number of tracks, and then, we're like, okay, these ones are going to get released, and then we move on to the next one. Um, so, yeah, we get a lot of extra tracks that we got to find stuff to do with, yeah. <laughs> um, is there, is there, and I know it's ever-evolving, but is there a current checklist or barometer for an energy and soundtrack that's like okay this this hit like a certain these five or six points and it will get released as opposed to another track i think yeah because we'll, we're going to do other things besides energy of sound and sound but when it for the moment if uh like like the song like the songs we've been playing here like it has to like sell like we have to fill it to that same extent get same level of excitement and then then it gets on passes that yeah yeah as for me i think um the one that the vocals comes naturally and the lyrics comes naturally is the one that i'm definitely going to capture and um, go deep yeah if you're, if you're if you're working too hard on it then that's that's uh, means something <laughs> uh i want to make sure we have time for for one more song but question to each of you yeah what right now is currently influencing 
you the most on the way in which you create music? Right now? Like right now. On I'd, I'd say the voices I've been yeah, listening the whole time of the, the customers. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that. how is that playing into it? Oh, it's it's like uh, it's music. Okay. I like I like how you went right now, as in this second in this back room, because I was thinking like, okay, over the past couple of weeks, what has been influenced? I mean, but I think yeah, both yeah. responses yeah. are equally. I mean, however, which you might define the present um, is equally unique. So, <laughs> so you went right now, but right you now. went to the last few weeks, so we can take a very legitimate uh-huh. answer from the past few weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's been a lot about what I hear, like, like in cars in our neighborhood. Like, we live uptown, and when I hear sounds coming through the cars, like, what, what are the sounds that I'm hearing? Is it the synthesizer? Is it, is it the bass line? Or is it the hi hat? And like, of course, like it's got it's usually from a future track or you know, like, um, what a time to be alive or something like that. And I'm like, oh, how's that going to work? In and what happens if we double time underneath that? And so definitely, like, the kind of ambient sounds of the city have been at work and then you combine that with sirens and train tracks and all this extra noise too and then something whatever cuts through and like that's kind of like delivering a message that's great um so uh how can people find you get your eps follow you the best way to find us is soundcloud slash the present find us on soundcloud and that will connect you to the band camp and the twitter and yeah awesome well again thanks jamie uh for putting us together thank you and uh thank you for joining us and uh what's the name of the last song you're gonna play for us we're gonna do illusion okay great uh well thanks for listening uh and we will be back next week with another episode of snacky tunes
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.